Welcome to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast, located inside the School of Health and Human Sciences at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Travis Smith, a proud sport management alum, adjunct faculty member, and associate editor of the Sports Innovation Journal here at IUPUI. On this podcast, we look to highlight the innovative practitioners and scholars in sports to learn and design Think the Future of the Industry together. Thanks for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. All right, welcome to the IEPY Sports Innovation Institute podcast. I'm joined by Dr. David Pierce, the director of the Sports Innovation Institute, to talk about a new research that the Sports Innovation Institute partnered with Grand Park, and we want to talk about that today, um, called Preparing Sports Venues and Events for the Return of Youth Sports. So, Dr. Pierce, thanks for being with me. Thanks, Travis. So we'll just jump into the questions, and um, everyone can download the the uh, research the same way as always with our authors. So, what is the backstory on how this partnership research project evolved with Grand Park and the Sports Innovation Institute? Sure, you know we've had a, a great relationship with uh, Grand Park over the last four or five years. They're the largest youth sports facility in the country, over 400 acres up in Westfield, Indiana. That's about 25 minutes north of our downtown Indianapolis location. Uh, you know, their uh, director, William Knox, and I have worked on several projects. We've had students doing some visitor experience uh, research and um, presenting innovative concepts up there. You know, we've seen a ton of uh, interns and practicum students up there. It's just been a really rich, um, relationship and as um, you know I started to think and, and look at you know kind of the landscape ahead here in May and June as we return uh, into youth sports it just seemed like the um, right opportunity to really try to help facilities and events prepare for that return that was really our motive behind it was helping um, events and facilities prepare for the return of youth sports by understanding um, what parents think about kind of these 12 key adaptations um, that will uh, talk about here today. And William was, uh, you know, completely on board and he's, um, you know, a leader in the space and he really helped us amplify the message that we had the survey and got it out uh, into the hands of a broad cross-section of youth sports. And we actually ended up with over 10,000 results in the study. Yeah, you did the survey that was distributed to 40 different organizations that could survey their members. And so, as you mentioned, over 10,000 people completed the entire survey from 45 states, representing at least 13 different sports. That's nearly 92% of respondents were also parents, and they also had other roles um, that they could choose as well. So can you talk about what types of questions were asked and then what survey model you use as your method? Sure, yeah, so we ended up using the, the Kano model to try to understand satisfaction and dissatisfaction with the presence and absence of these adaptations. And so when we say adaptations, you know, we're talking about things like, you know, limiting uh, the amenities on site. So it's like closing the concession stands, for example, limiting personal contact uh, between athletes off the field. So we kind of call that the three H's, the handshakes, the high fives, the hugs, uh, potentially playing without spectators, uh, changing your arrival and departure routine, you know, increased sanitization practices, face masks, social distancing, um, you know, completing some sort of a health screening to gain admission to the venue. Um, and then we also kind of looked at the maybe what we might call the no grandparents rule, right? So limiting admissions to those people under 65 with no pre-existing uh, 
um, medical conditions. And so um, we looked at this using the Kano model, which is um, historically, I mean, really, it's a, it's a very pragmatic um, user design tool. Um, and really, if you think about what um, event and facility operators are creating right now is they're creating a new user experience in youth sports. So um, during a pandemic, right? Uh, so kind of given that context of being a user design tool, the model really helps venues understand how people feel about the adaptations uh, by accounting for the presence and the absence of those adaptations. So um, it kind of gives you a, a two-dimensional look at satisfaction. Um, and it really, the, the real value of it is it, and you'll see in the infographic as, as you look at that here tied to the podcast, is it gives you a really good interpretive framework for placing those adaptations and understanding what they mean. Yeah, I like that there were, uh, it makes it really simple. It's uh, options were attractive, delights, performance, more the better, indifferent, don't care, and must be, gotta have it options. So it made it really clear and uh, easy to understand and see a picture uh, by using that model. So what were some of the responses you received and what did that tell you for interpreting the results into actual action steps? Yeah, so I think a, a good example to kind of easily understand how the model and the quadrants work is um, the very top right part of the graph is the performance quadrant, which we call the more the better, right? So these are things that um, people experience more satisfaction with the experience, the more of it that they receive, right? So, um, you know, an, an example from everyday life might be, you know, the storage space on your phone or, you know, in your Dropbox account, right? You know, the, the more storage space, the more gigabytes you have, the more satisfied you're gonna be with it. Well, here that translated into um, the sanitization practices of kind of common and high touch areas, and then also of playing areas and equipment, right? So the more sanitization that occurs, the more satisfied users are gonna be. Um, the bottom right quadrant then um, is um, the must be quadrant. And so these are things that are the fundamental or critical elements, the, the adaptations that have to be there for people to really feel comfortable engaging in youth sports again in a safe way. Um, so an example here with the social distance arrangements, um, you know, fit into this quadrant. So uh, these are things then that um, they're uh, the presence of the adaptation. So doing social distancing doesn't really uh, necessarily satisfy people. People are not experiencing a lot of satisfaction, but if it's absent, then people are going to be significantly dissatisfied. So um, if we think of other experiences in sport, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity at a professional or college sports venue would be something that people would classify um, as a must be element of the experience, right? So you don't, when you hop on your phone to get connected, you don't feel uh, an incredible amount of satisfaction when you get connected, but if you don't have it, you really notice it and it makes it significantly dissatisfying. So the other, so the things then from our study that fit there are social distancing guidelines, um, limiting personal contact between athletes, that's the handshakes, the high fives, the hugs, um, I mentioned social distancing, um, uh, limiting admissions to those under 65 with no conditions. So actually the no grandparent rule um, fit into the must be quadrant. And then the other thing that was a must be um, was completing a health screening to gain entry into the venue. And so in the, in the travel sports world too, we also included in that listing of items that you would answer questions about would also be your lodging information and your contact information. So if someone were to get 
um, the coronavirus, then that we would get that would help with the contact tracing portion of that. Um, and so those were kind of the four things that fit into that must be gotta have it um, quadrant. And then the other quadrant that um, was important or that we had results in was the indifferent quadrant. So these are the things that people just frankly really don't care about. So um, I think of it just personally, you know, our uh, pool in our neighborhood uh, just opened up last week and, you know, the uh, concession stands are closed all summer, right? So, but you know what it's like, eh, I can deal with that, right? Like, I'm just happy that the pool's open. <laughs> I can, you know, for a season here, I can deal with the concessions not being open. So it's kind of things that fit um, into that categorization. So limiting the amenities were there. So that again would be like a, a concession stands and maybe, you know, the other kind of entertainment centers and things that uh, facilities have built to uh, entertain people in their downtime. Um, uh, altering the bench and dugout areas to kind of limit um, the number of people that might be in a, in a dugout or a bench space fit there. Um, changing your arrival and departure routines, right? So that's like, uh, you know, coming to the facility fully dressed because, you know, the um, you don't have a locker room to change in. You know, it's not sticking around for that extra game to scout the next opponent or to watch your friend play. Um, and then the other thing that, that fit there uh, was actually wearing face masks, um, but wearing face masks actually landed there because it was an average of the, the people that were really passionate that we should be wearing them and those that are not. So just like any other aspect of uh, current uh, American <laughs> life, uh, there was strong opinions on that and it just kind of landed there as an average. But the, uh, the amenities, the dugouts, and uh, the changing the arrival and departure routines, people just saw they were indifferent to it. Um, it was not important and they don't care. It's kind of like, you know what, we can just, we can just deal with this for now. Um, and then the only thing that, that classified into the reverse quadrant, which would be, these are the things that people don't want and were very resistant to, um, was playing without spectators, right? So limiting um, admission only to officials, administrators, and players and playing without spectators. Um, that was not well received um, by respondents. And that's uh, where, um, that, that is where, uh, you know, they should tread lightly um, should such a policy be implemented. Yeah, that one was interesting because it makes me think that 92% of the respondents were parents. And so uh, they're okay with the no grandparent rule, but not necessarily the spectators. Um, and uh, one thing that venue, I could see venue managers think about is, is there a space around the area where they could watch from their vehicles and not obstructed? But when you go to a large venue, sometimes all the all the fields are actually in a circle and so you can't actually park close enough to the venue. So that's something that different youth sports organizations will have to think about. But it was not a surprise to see that in the reverse area, uh, in my opinion, that uh, spectators did not want to not be able to go, especially if they're dropping uh, a long ways. Hey listeners, a quick message and then we'll get right back to the interview. I wanted to quickly tell you that the Sports Innovation Journal is now accepting submissions. If you have or are looking for a place to publish your innovative thoughts and studies on the sports industry, then please consider the Sports Innovation Journal. We are an open access journal and our target audience is the practitioner looking for answers to the questions and problems in their job, and we want to attract and publish researchers that are identifying and studying those questions and problems. If you are interested in learning more about the journal, and wanting to submit or sign up to be a reviewer, then visit the link in the episode notes or email Dr. David Pierce, 
the editor and director of the Sports Innovation Institute at dpierce3 at iupi.edu. dpierce3 at iupi.edu. Now let's get back to the interview. Um, I think a lot of the respondents are involved in competitive travel sports. Figure five in this study shows comfortability returning to travel youth sports by each month. What did that graphic sort of tell you? What's the story? And does that give somewhat of a timeline for youth sport event managers to target a return and decide whether they can feasibly have their venues and operations ready in time, such as having the resources to carry out the gotta have it results? Yeah, it, it, it does. And it, it, these results mirror people's general um, kind of travel, comfort level returning to travel as well that have been published in a variety of other places. So we asked them on the day that they took the survey, how comfortable are they returning to traveling? And these are um, the youth sport uh, travel parents specifically. So over 8,000 of those in the respondent set. So on the day they took the survey in late May, that number was a little bit under 40%, but there's a, there is a steady climb to, you know, around 50% in June, and then it bumps up to 70% in July, and then all the way September and beyond, it actually nudges over 80%. So there is a, there is a gradual um, comfort level uh, there that increases. And so by the time you're uh, hitting July uh, and August, you know, things are, um, you know, returning to uh, more normal levels. Yeah, I think if uh, if anyone pays attention to the 12 adaptations, they're going to notice a theme that the survey respondents are actually responding quite wonderfully to the CDC guidelines. Um, and, and with the hand sanitation, the 60 social distancing, uh, the 65 and under population um, being allowed in there. Uh, so just a lot of uh, things correlating with what we're seeing as as the public guidelines, and um, the one and really even the mask thing isn't surprising that it's not a must be because they're going to be playing outdoors most likely, and so there's talk that it could be a little safer. But with such a large survey, it really is interesting to see how um, people are paying attention to these to these guidelines and and how it really can help get sports back. Yeah, the, um, I think that's a that's a really good observation. And uh, the other kind of interesting way that we divided up the data was looking at um, what we would call, you know, just recreational youth sports. So kind of the local recreation parents versus the travel parents. Um, and there's a really cool graphic in the in the paper if, if folks are able to download it that shows all of the all of the um, dots um, all of those adaptations on the on the graph move up and to the right when we look at um, the rec parents which means they uh, the recreation parents see all of those adaptations as more fundamental critical or essential um, to the return for youth sports so um, travel parents uh, still are seeing them as important. They're in the, the different you know quadrants that we talked about, but it's even more pronounced and even stronger um, for those uh, recreational parents, which is interesting because those kind of the reverse of the kind of the CDC recommendation currently, which is you know the, the sports that should and other governing bodies as well that the sports that should be returning first, um, you know, are actually the local and recreational ones when. Uh, in fact, that's not in practice how things are actually 
uh, happening. But it makes sense, right? The youth, uh, you know, the travel sports crowd, they're, they're more invested, right? They've got more money invested. They've got more time invested. Um, and so uh, they're just, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, they want to more quickly get back uh, on the field of play. Yeah, and it might just be because they see this as an opportunity to actually play and worry that maybe their their state association or their school might not be able to get a full season in. So just a lot of different factors that I imagine. Um, but I think this is an incredible study for people to pay attention to. It really can uh, can help lead to some good policy and event management. So, Dr. Pierce, thanks for being with me. As always, uh, listeners can download in the show notes uh, the actual paper of the study and um, also click the infographic. We'll make it as clear as possible and easy for practitioners to put this to practice.